we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Good morning. How are y'all? Jimmy, I was told there was no choreography or motions required today, so I'm not sure what that was all about. But. <laughs> My name is Scott Lane, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you in this time teaching and, and looking at God's Word together. Pastor Danny is uh, away on vacation with uh, his family and family friends, and so we're praying for him in that time that it would be restful, be sweet fellowship, and that he uh, comes back fresh and, and uh, ready for service and, and for ministry. So if you're new to Lagos, or if you're uh, new to our church, I want to say welcome to you. If you're here in the room, or if you're watching us on TV, and or, and or streaming or vi virtually, we're, we're glad you're here. And so if you would do us a favor, uh, we want to know that you were here. We want to know that you were with us. Uh, in this season of uh, pandemic, we're going to do that in a distant kind of way, distancing in a virtual kind of way. And so we want you to go to fbcsa.org slash connect. And there's a card that we want you to look at and uh, fill out for us. We want to know you were here. We want to tell you what God is doing in and through our church. Even in this season, God is doing amazing things in and through you and in and through our ministries and programs for the gospel, for missions, and for uh, his kingdom. Things are happening. We want to connect with you. We want to tell you about that. We want to start a friendship with you and uh, just learn more about you and have you learn more about us in this time because we believe that God draws people together in a body so that we can worship together like we're doing now, but also so that we can go out and we can serve and serve together and serve well and grow God's kingdom. And so it's an exciting thing. So part of worship today will be gathering. Part of worship will be ministering. Part of worship is also giving. And so if you would like to worship through giving, there are a couple of ways you can do that. If you're here in the room, uh, you can you can use drop boxes or collection boxes there uh, at the doors as you leave. Uh, you can just drop a, 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 your envelope or your gift in there, it, or you can do it virtually. You can go to fbcsa.org-give, and you can uh, support the ministries and programs of this church and, and the mission of this church that way. And so we're glad you're here. I want to say welcome. I want to say we hope you feel God's presence. We want him to be near to you, and we want you to feel near to him in these moments. These are eternal moments. We believe that, that as we look at God's word, as we sing, as we pray, that, that God is near, that God is real, and that God is powerful, and he's drawing us to himself for his glory and for our good. And so welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody. This is our eighth week in our reverse study of Philippians. And so all fall, we've been working through the book of Philippians. And uh, the study has been so rich and so good, um, needed, encouraging, convicting, challenging, all of those things. And we were reading Paul's letter to this church in Philippi that, that he started. 
And so we're going to continue on in our study and in our thinking. Uh, We're going to read this morning from select verses because we have a longer passage. It's uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 30. So if you have a Bible, turn there. Philippians 2, 9, 30, or if you have an app or you're using a digital copy of the scripture, you're going to want to keep that open because I'm going to refer to a lot of verses in this passage, but we're not going to read them all together at this time. But we're going to read some select verses together, and uh, we're going to, we'll do that now. So I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're here in the room or if you're at home, stand. And let's read together, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. You can be seated. So if you've been with us this fall, and you've been tracking through Philippians, at first glance, when you read this passage... Um, it seems kind of like a break in the action. Uh, Philippians is filled with what I call coffee cup verses. He who began a good work in you will continue it on until the day of Christ Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain. These, these motivational verses, these verses that are life verses for many. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we see a lot of those and, and, and then we come to this passage. Um, and we think, wow, wow, the first one and a half chapters of Philippians, we've, we've seen stirring prayers, we've seen Christ-exalting exhortation, deep teaching, doctrine. There's this beautiful song or hymn of the glory and the humility, the sacrifice of Christ. There's encouragement and charges to, to work out your salvation. There's a plea for these believers to suffer, to suffer well, to stand firm, to be together, to have unity and community, and, and, and to live a life. And we come to verse 127, and here's the, the pinnacle verse, I believe, of the whole book, where he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. I want you to live a life that honors God, that honors the work, the ministry, and the majesty of the living God. And so we have all of that in the first one and a half chapters, and then we come to travel plans. Really? Travel plans. The first, the first commentary I looked at, honest to goodness, this is a true story. I, I started reading, and there was a quote right at the beginning for this passage, and it, it was by C.J. Mahaney. I'm going to throw him under the bus. And he said, quote, No one's favorite verses are in this passage. Wow. And so when I read that, I thought, well, thank you, Pastor Danny, for asking me to preach today. That's going to be a joy. Well, actually, there are travel plans, the who and the when. But I believe Paul 
has bigger things in mind. I believe he has an agenda. I believe this is a travel agenda. I believe there's two things going on. I believe there's leadership happening, and I believe that there's discipleship. And I actually think that as we study this passage, as we work our way through it, as we think about it and ask God to help us and encourage encourage us with it, I think this passage we're going to see fits right into the flow of this letter that says, I want you to live a life worthy, worthy of the gospel. So Paul was a good leader and a good shepherd. So he knew that communication was crucial. He needed to apprise these folks, these these people back in Philippi of his plans. Because in Rome where he was, there were new plans. He was going to send Timothy. Um, There were changing plans. He was going to send Epaphroditus back sooner than expected. New plans. Changing plans. Updating plans. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like pandemic. Communicating that, even those changes for Paul, was important and strategic. And I will just tell you the job that I don't want right now is to be the communication director of a church in a pandemic. Talk about stressful. Talk about things changing on the fly. Things like, well, we're not going to meet in person. Well, we're going to meet in person. We're going to meet, but masks are recommended. And, and then we're going to meet, but masks are required. Or we're going to have a drive-in. Or, or this event's canceled. This event's been changed. This event's been postponed. Whew, what a burden. And so I, I want to stop. And I just want to just affirm Michael Allen and the great job that he has done helping us stay together, helping us be informed, helping us know how we're moving forward. His leadership and ministry have been invaluable to this church. And so would you help me? He's here. I think he may be in the back somewhere. But just help me thank him and say, well done, my brother. Well done, my brother. And so Paul knew that leadership was an important part of his role. And so in this, in this piece, there, there was... There was communication needed, and it was, it was crucial. But if there were leadership on Paul's mind, if there was leadership on his mind, there was also discipleship in his heart. I want you to see what he does here. It's, it's brilliant. He's saying, here are my plans to send these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and hopefully me, I'm going to send them to you. That's leadership. That's great communication. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the when. Here's the who. Here's what's happening. Here's, here are the events that are leading up to this. They're coming. You can expect that. But he also says, because they love you and because you love them, I believe that your faith and your capacity to live a life worthy of the gospel, Philippians, the message, I believe that your capacity to do that is going to increase. That's discipleship. So what he's doing is he's, he's doing leadership and he's doing discipleship. And his discipleship is saying, I'm going to send these men to you and they're going to help you. They're going to encourage you. You're going to, you're going to be discipled. Discipleship is going to happen. So in Paul's philosophy of discipleship, he recognizes that there's great potential for progress in learning and being encouraged in your faith from a visible example. 
I think he knows, and I think he gets it, that what he's written has been amazing. There's, there's deep teaching. There is strong encouragement. There's beautiful poetry. There's lofty doctrine. And I think he realizes to an extent that, oh, oh my goodness, um, there's people that may be maybe just a little intimidated. They're, they're reading this and they're thinking, um, yeah, Jesus, he was perfect. And you want him to be like that? And, and you're Paul, you're the apostle. You want him to be like you? I, I, can't, I can't do that. That's, that's, that's out of my league. So, story time. Back in 1996, um, Christy and I moved to San Antonio from Louisville, Texas. We'd been married for three years, and we were serving a church in that area, and we were living in an apartment. Now, in a, the apartment life was a blessing to me, okay? Here's how, and here's why. Because if something broke, if something didn't work right, if something was out of whack or out of kilter in our apartment, you know what I had to do? Call the office, and they sent somebody over to fix it. And that was always intimidating to me. And so when we moved here in 1996, as, as devotion and love for my wife, she bought me a book. It was about this thick. It was the Encyclopedia of Home Improvement. And so thousands and thousands of pictures and pages and instructions. It was, it was really like a big instruction manual. And you know how men love to read those anyway, right? And so she, she got me that her desire was to help me and encourage me. But can I just tell you, the more I looked at that, the more intimidated I got and the less that I really wanted to do around the house to fix things, to create things, to change things. And, and, and I was very, very intimidated. And so a miracle happened in 2005 that revolutionized me and transformed my capacity to be in home improvement, YouTube. It was outstanding. It was outstanding because now I could just search on a YouTube page on the internet. I could search videos. How to change out an electrical socket. How to hang a ceiling fan. A whole other world opened up. Auto repair. Wow. Who even knew? And so by looking and seeing people on, on YouTube do these repairs, talk about them, walk through with me. It encouraged me to a whole nother level. And I think that's exactly what Paul's doing. I think, he, I think he knew that to a degree what he was saying was true and it was helpful and it was holy. But to some folks, I think he thought, you know, this might be intimidating. I'm going to send these guys. I'm going to do that. Um, and so, so he does. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 20. It should be up on the screen. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, same, same strategy, same concept. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Visible. Visible discipleship. Look at Philippians 4.9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice discipleship. There, there is, 
Visible discipleship is helpful. Being, seeing an example, living, breathing an example is so helpful. I love this quote by D.A. Carson. He says, Christian character is as much caught as taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians. It's exactly what Paul's doing. The Christian faith is as much biography as it is theology. And Paul's saying to these believers in Philippi, he said, I want you to see and I want you to brush up against a life being lived that's worthy of the gospel. I want you to experience it. I want you to take note. And then he says, here's what I'm hoping you see. And he points out some things in the lives of, of Timothy and, a, and Epaphroditus that I think are just, are just incredible. First of all, a disciple's life is governed. He wants them to see that a disciple's life is, is governed. Let's look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. We'll just stop right there. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. Look on down. Look in verse 24. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come. Now look at verse 29. Welcome him in the Lord. Paul uses that phrase, in the Lord or in the Lord Jesus, nine times in this book. And it's not an accident. He uses it over 40 times in his writings and all of his letters, okay? Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, I'm not a genius, but I know when things appear over and over, that that's, that's something I need to take note about. I need to be aware of that. And I think it is for us, too, because the tendency, I think, for a lot of us, and, and for me, is I say, well, I hope in the Lord. Well, of course you do. And you just read right over it. It's, it's church speak. That's what we say as Christians. God willing, I hope. If, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this. But not with Paul. That in the Lord little phrase was, was a huge, huge deal for him. F.F. Bruce described this phrase and the meaning of the phrase and the meaning of the phrase in Paul's life like this. Paul was intentional when he said in the Lord. It meant God's purpose, plan, and will constituted the sphere in which Paul and others acted and thought. His whole life, his, all of his experiences, were, all of his circumstances were in the Lord. Okay, Trusting in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, receiving in the Lord, standing firm in the Lord, agreeing together in the Lord. So I want you to follow, I want you to follow this thread. There's a beautiful example, and I'm going to try my best to unpack it. I and mean, it's, it's, it's life-changing, I believe. It, it was such a... A nugget of insight for me to, to, to see this and, and learn this for myself. So in verse 20, I have no one else like him. He's talking about Timothy, who will show genuine, and the word concern is the word I want you to think about there. Genuine concern for your welfare. The Greek word for concern right there is merimnao. Okay? Merimnao. Okay? Flip over to Philippians 4, chapter 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Paul says, do not be merimnao about anything. So on one hand, Timothy is merimnao, and it's a really good thing. But on the other hand, just a couple of chapters later, Paul's going to say, don't be merimnao. 
What's the difference? What's the difference? I want to contend and I want to suggest that Timothy's Maramnao was governed by in the Lord. Timothy's Maramnao was in the Lord. I am worried. In the Lord, I am concerned. And so I want you to see that. I want you to embrace that because Timothy being a disciple picked that up from Paul. And if what we believe about discipleship is accurate, and we'll talk about this in a minute, he's going to think and be doing the same things that Paul's doing. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what the verse says. Timothy is like-minded. He's like-souled, and he's thinking the same. Merimnao. There's deep feeling. There's deep anxiety. But it's governed by in the Lord. And I just want to suggest a practical application for in the Lord. Being in the Lord is a deep, deep trust in the good sovereignty of God. You see that? The feelings are the same. The good Merimnao is governed by that, that trust, that, that love, that affection for the sovereignty of God. The bad Merimnao is not, and it's, it's, it's controlled, it's, it's governed by fear. And Paul says, don't do that. If you begin to ask God to govern that, he will redeem. He, he will make that, that deep emotion. He will cause it to be for his good. He will cause it to be the good of those people. And so Timothy's affection and his anxiety for them, his love for them, was a good thing. Because it was in, it was in the Lord. There was rest in that. I hope you feel that. So no matter... Not just anxiety, but financial situations, health situations, career situations, unexpected turns. In all our circumstances, in the Lord. I had a call this week from one one of my sweet friends. She's a senior adult. She's a widow, 88 years old. And she called me and she said, she says, Scott, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm rattled and I need you to come to, I need, I need to talk to you. Can you come over? And so I did, um, began to listen to her, and what had happened, she had been to the doctor, she had been to her cardiologist. Now, you have to remember, uh, and what you need to know is, she's had eight heart surgeries. She's had a, a, a valve replacement, she's had stents, she's had bypass, she's had, I mean, she's had it all. I mean, she's got the whole catalog. And she had went to the doctor, and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, he came back and he said, you have AFib. And she said, Scott, it's, it's rocked my world. And so as we talked and I listened and just began to encourage her, what I began to say to her was, Joanna, you're, you're, you're in the Lord. You're going to be safe. I reminded her how God has taken care of her. I reminded her how God has blessed her. I encouraged her with scripture about God's power and his strength. And we prayed. And you know what happened? By the time we were finished, she said, you know, it's going to be all right. I'm still, I'm still concerned. But I don't feel that way anymore. It's different. And what happened was she became, that, this circumstance became governed 
That's discipleship. And so maybe the takeaway for us is to think about that. Um, so how do, you, how do you get that? Well, I just kind of said, but you read, you read the Scripture. God reveals Himself on every page of the Bible. He reveals His character and how He deals with mankind. We cannot read the Bible without seeing that God is sovereign and that He's all-powerful and that all His plans always prevail. Listen, Bible study realigns our heart so that we are more overcome with an eternal God than overwhelmed by our current circumstances. So does your life and heart show signs of being in the Lord? And maybe, maybe the exercise, maybe the habit we need to get to is saying that to ourselves. I'm in the Lord. Something happens unexpected. Something's hard. Something's difficult. Something I didn't see coming. I'm still in the Lord. And we preach to ourselves. We remind ourselves. Maybe we need to say that 10 times a day until it just becomes natural. And we say it all the time, just like Paul in the Lord. A disciple's life is governed. Paul's desire was also for them to see that discipleship is reproducible. Look at verse 20. When we, when we saw that, we, and we talked about Timothy is like-minded, same-souled. Same Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. It's, it's reproducible. Disciples making disciples. I'm, for this reason, I've sent you Timothy, my son. I'm in verse 17, 1 Corinthians 4. For this reason I've sent you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And all of a sudden you see from Paul to Timothy to the church to the community to the nations. It's reproducible. That's discipleship. That's, that's discipleship. Um, there's more to that D.A. Carson quote on being that discipleship is caught rather than taught. Listen to the end of this quote. Modeling, modeling, it takes place all the time whether we take it into account or not. So I wanna, I'm just, just going to be a little firm, okay? And I'm just going to be a little blunt. This, it comes from being a youth minister. They, they let me do that. And so it's coming. I just want just to let you know. That reality is good news and bad news because discipleship happens all the time. We are always teaching other people about our faith. That's good news for some. For others, that's not good news. We are always teaching others about our faith. Is it a faith that we want them to have and practice? That's kind of a self-examination question, isn't it? Is the faith that you're modeling, the faith that you want your friends and family to have, or the people that are not believers, will they look at your life and say, I want that. That's, that's exactly right. Because the truth is, you're discipling them in the way you think and the way you believe. Parents, let me just, let me just stop and, and talk to you for just a second. 
even if you're the parent of a teenager with all digital media, peers, peers and independence and all of that, surveys, every, they do them every two years because I guess they think that it's going to be, uh, they're going to come up with something different. You still have the greatest influence on your teenager's life. You're discipling your children, whether they're teenagers or kids. You're discipling them all the time. Not just about spiritual things, but about relationships and priorities, habits, trends, preferences. You're discipling them all the time. Disciples making disciples. That's that's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm sending these guys to you. I'm sending Timothy to you because he's like me. And I want you to be like him, like me. And that's how it's going to go. It sounds like the Great Commission, doesn't it? Go ye therefore and make disciples. And he said that to the disciples. So how, how long, how mature do you have to be as a Christian to start making disciples? Not a trick question. It just, I mean, it's an honest question. I don't think it's about time. I think it's about... I think it's about your, your growth. If you're growing spiritually, are you looking for somebody to disciple? All you have to be is just a little bit ahead of them. The Holy Spirit will, will help. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling anyone? Paul says you should be, because that's why I'm sending these guys, because they can do it. Paul wants the church to see and sense humility. And these two men. He's written about humility earlier in this chapter. Look at chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We see it clearly, specific, specifically mentioned for Timothy in verse 20. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And the, and the implication is Timothy's looking out for your interests because he's looking out for the interests of Christ. Christ's interest is the glory of God and the good of others. And Timothy is walking that line. He's doing that exact same thing. It's also mentioned for Epaphroditus, verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. You thought... His, his, his regard for those believers was so high. He said, if they're worrying about me, that's, oh, I can't have that. I don't want them to worry about me. I don't want them to fret. I don't want them to, oh, I don't want them to feel that way. Their interest, their value was higher than his. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So what does it look like? What does a humble person look like? You ever wonder that? Um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, Do not think if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be sort of a greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. 
He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So, so what cultivates humility? Um, there's not a book titled Humility and How You Can Achieve It. I'm sorry. There's not a self-help book written for that. But there's a book you can look at, the scripture, and you can begin to think about the cross. Because at the cross, the sin of man and the salvation of God is clearly on display. The sin of man and salvation of God is clearly on display. When I was growing up I've, uh, as a teenager, um, we used to play a game in church. I know that's, for those of you that know me really well, that's not going to come as a shock. For those of you that just know me as Pastor Scott, that might be a shock. But, and I sat in the back, so if you're sitting in the back, we see you. Okay? But we used to play this game. When we would sing Amazing Grace, we would always pick out one person in our little group, and it would go, start, and we would kind of do that behind the scenes so that nobody really knew when it was coming. Amazing Grace, how sweet thou sound, that saved a wretch like, bam! And we would point to a specific person and yell their name. And that was funny, y'all, because you'd see them, poof, deer in the headlights. Until one Sunday, it was my turn. That song never, never rang the same again when I heard my name. A wretch like Scott. And it it does. When I think about my salvation, when I think about God's grace, His forgiveness, the life He's put in my heart, and how He's blessed me, it is so humbling because I don't deserve it. And so Francis Chan will say, you should focus on the cross. So do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody that's humble, that's selfless and joyous and peaceful? Will you pray for God to shape your heart in life like this? Paul says, these men are humble. Watch them. They will help you to learn and become someone who is living worthy of the gospel. Paul's description of Timothy and Epaphroditus shows the church in Philippi. In some ways, the discipleship is the same. There are some things that, that all the disciples are doing and believing and thinking and the ways they're acting and in other ways, they're different, and they're, they're unique. And so I just want to point out a couple of these little, little things. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus are believers. He's going to, Paul's going to call Timothy a son. He's going to call Epaphroditus a brother. They're part of the family of God. They're, part, they're believers. They've trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And so the invitation goes... If you want to believe, if you want to be a part of this church family, if you want to be on a path of discipleship, of being governed by the presence and the sovereignty of God, it, you, you, you get there. That, that happens when you become a believer. It happens when you profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were believers. They both had high regard for the work and the interest of Jesus Christ. Just like Paul says, Look at Timothy in verse 21. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy does. Timothy's not like anybody else is what Paul says. We'll talk about that in a second. But he, he, he's different because he does. He has high regard for the work and interest of Jesus Christ. Look at Epaphroditus. 
Epaphroditus because he almost died for the work of Jesus Christ. High regard for that work. They had a sacrificial love for that church in Philippi. They both did. They both had a high regard for missions and ministry and evangelism. But their differences, their differences, they weren't afraid to work. The distance between Philippi and Rome was 800 miles. And both those men were willing to do that. So these were not weak, timid men. They were bold and they were brave. Timothy was a pastor. Epaphroditus was a member, a layperson. Paul even says there's no one like him. He's unique. Paul sent him to all these churches. Epaphroditus just ministered to the one church. So they were, they were, they were different in that way. There were different roles for them to play. Um, Paul, in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, is going to say diversity in the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. There are some things that we do have in common, but there's different ways that we serve and that we work. So what about here? What about this body? What do we have in common? Well, we believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died for our sins and he rose from the grave to give us eternal life. We have great love for Jesus. We have high regard for the scripture. We study it. We worship. There's accountability around it. We think missions is important in our city and to the nations. And we think evangelism is key as we share the gospel all across the city and around the world. Yet there's dozens of unique opportunities. It's just like Danny said at the beginning. Where are you serving? Who are you serving with? You, not y'all, you. There's unique opportunities in this church, in this body for you to serve. And when you do, what Paul's going to say is people are going to see that. And they're going to be drawn closer. They're going to be encouraged to have a life that's worthy of the gospel. And that's discipleship. That's discipleship. Let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your word, your love for us, your encouragement. And so I pray in these moments that you would draw people to yourself, both in faith and commitment and encouragement, that you would use this time as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.